as we welcome in Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic. Uh, Nick, you're with Kevin Carius and former Great Cup champion Eddie Steele. Welcome to Sports 1440. What's up, fellas? How are we doing? Doing great. We're excited to talk a little NFL with, uh, you know, uh, mock drafts coming out of the yin-yang with the draft in, uh, still several <laughs> weeks away. But I would, I just, oh, question, yeah. how, how many mock drafts do you think you'll do in the next couple of months? Well, honestly, like, I think for what we do here is, you know, you, you try to keep those, I feel like, to uh, a handful, like maybe less than a handful. Because, you know, I feel like the more you do of those, the less credible they sort of become and honestly at this point you know once the combine finishes up um you know there probably won't be a ton of movement in Mm -hmm. you know in in the boards here you know what i mean like it'll be you know and and really at this point you know i mean i have a pretty good idea of what i would call a top 100 on on my list and then that'll probably change some but you know i mean it doesn't really shift a whole lot um after the combine so maybe one more one more big one um and then that would probably it i think for me and uh, we'll see how it goes are you finding nick there's less and less movement after the combine than there was maybe several years ago yes i think so because i think that you know the the situation has become more advanced i think in general you know the the all-star games uh, both the shrine bowl and the senior bowl um you know are have both done a terrific job in recent years and really for a long time but I think in recent years, especially of really expanding their scouting departments and they push each other. Those bowls are almost competitive uh, in terms. They are competitive, I should say, in terms of the comp- the talent they compete to find and, and the guys they can try to get in there to. So there's just there's just so much more exposure for these guys now uh, after college uh, in that period, you know, the winter months. Um, and, you know, usually what you have, and, and there could be some movement, I suppose, after the combine, and I shouldn't say that there's, there won't be any, uh, because after the combine is when the coaches sort of start to have their input. But the GMs and the scouts and everybody will probably go into the combine with a pretty good idea of who they like. And then I think that, you know, that that has advanced in recent years, whereas you'll probably see some shift because coaches will have different opinions and they typically get late later to the film than the rest of us. Like a lot of them just wrapped up playing, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, that's something that they're a little later to the game with and they wait till after the combine. But for the most part, you know, I think that you have a pretty good idea of what your top 50, top 100 is going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Nick, as we head into the combine season, uh, do you have any diamonds in the rough uh, that you predict might pop at the combine? Maybe that's not a household name that we might be accustomed to? Oh, geez, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch. Um, I think that if you look at – there's a lot of receivers in this draft, and I think that, you know, receiver and offensive tackle is the one that gets talked about a lot. But I think offensive tackle could be one where we see a bunch of different guys um, really do some crazy things. Amarius Mims is a guy from Georgia who's really not played much. Uh, he's a junior. I believe he's 21. He might be 22, but I'm not sure if he's 22. He might. Be, I think he's still 21. He's six seven, just huge, long arms, and he runs like a tight end, you know, 300-plus. I think he's like 330, 340. Um, just a freakish, freakish guy. Uh, there will be guys like that that, you know, show up. And, you know, Chris Jenkins, a kid from Michigan, is a defensive tackle who is – his dad played in the NFL, his uncle played in the NFL, and he can do some pretty crazy things at about 290, 295. There's some guys like that that will um, probably, you know, improve their stock in the eyes of some, but I think that most of that's the one difference, though. I think most of the league is aware and expects uh, a lot of that, you know, from guys. Like, you go in, when you look at a guy like Chris Jenkins and you watch him play enough, you say, okay, there's a lot of explosion here. We've heard what the strength staff says there. So we expect them to do this now, right? And I think that that's what the combine has become. It's become almost like a not a fact-finding mission as much as a let's confirm what we've already found or deny what we've already found based on what we see here. Right. 
We are elevating our game for Ram elevators and lifts with Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic talking the uh, combine and the upcoming NFL draft, mock drafts, etc. Would you say, Nick, that the number one storyline in this draft is quarterbacks and where they fall, uh, with the exception, mm-hmm. of course, of Caleb Williams? Absolutely. You know, I think that the whole, even Caleb, you know, I think that he's probably the odds-on favorite to be the top pick, but I mean, you know, Drake May is still... Uh, a very capable player, and I, I wouldn't shock me if there's a scout or two or a GM or two out there that decides they like him a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the real thing this year is you have a situation, unlike in, in previous years, especially the last like handful, where you know you have four guys who are first round worthy quarterbacks, and probably eight or nine who are guys that we would say you you would take on day one or day two, which is much higher than it's than it normally is. It's higher than it will be next year. And we'll see about the year after that. But I think that, you know, there's so many quarterback needy teams who've been sort of waiting, you know, maybe for a year like this or some of the matriculation from, you know, Justin Fields, let's say a guy's off their rookie deal. So many quarterback teams have been just sort of waiting and kicking the can um, before they take a guy or, or make, you know, make a decision on someone. And this is the year that if you're going to do it via the draft that you sort of have to do it. So, you know, you look at a guy like Michigan's J.J. Uh, McCarthy, you know, he is probably a top 30 player in this draft in terms of talent, but he will go uh, top 15, absolutely, maybe top 10 because of the need and everything else. And that's that's the type of situation we're talking about here. In previous years, you know, with a guy like Desmond Ritter a couple of years ago, he was never going to be above, like, top 75 on any top 100 list. So it was just going to be harder to make the case for, hey, can we take him at 12? You know, he's pretty close. You know, and that's the deal with McCarthy and maybe Bo Nix. So I think that it's a little bit different this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the name J.J. McCarthy. Can you just uh, dive into him just a bit more? Because, you know, statistically his stats weren't off of the charts or anything. Obviously mm-hmm. we see him on the big stage, great athleticism. I never viewed him as, uh, you know, one of the, the best quarterbacks in this draft, but all of a sudden he shot up the boards. So what is it with J.J. and uh, in his game? Just talk on him a bit. Yeah, really what the thing is with him is it's it's hard. You have to really watch him extremely close and go through almost every throw he has because he played at a, he played at a school in an offense um, that really didn't throw the ball very much. It was a very careful you know, run game. You know, the run game was incredibly complicated and complex, and he was actually in charge of you know, a lot of checks and calls uh, with that sort of thing, too. But, you know, that was a team that, you know, Jim Harbaugh, we're going to run the ball. We're not going to throw it much. But, you know, there were always three or four, you know, plays a game, three or four attempts a game, I would say, where you'd see an NFL translatable throw uh, or an opportunity they'd give him. And he hit more of them than he missed. I mean, like, you know, you consider he's a 20-year-old player last year. I think he just turned 21. I think he has lost one game in his life dating back to high school as a starting quarterback, won a national title, is a big-time athlete, as you guys talked about, can do a lot of those you know, sort of shortstop throws that Mahomes has been made so famous uh, off-platform, across the body, is really good on the run, um, and he's young, and you can mold him. And I think that that's the sort of thing you – know, he's got a lot of the intangibles guys like in terms of being a winner and a positive attitude guy – but he's also young, and he's a really good athlete. He's a first-round athlete, and I think that that's the thing. You know, we've seen this in years past where you look at quarterbacks that, you know, the stats just aren't maybe what you think they are, but when you look at the context around them, and you're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense, right? It's like, okay, they, they didn't ask him to throw the ball 50 times because that's just not who they were. He could have if they wanted him to. It's just not who they were, and, and he never complained, and I think that's also a lot of teams see that as a – tip of the hat. I mean, he did navigate a pretty high-level offense and uh, more complicated than people probably realize. 
Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic, our guest on Sports 1440. Kevin Carries, Eddie Steele with you on a Friday morning, 7.30, coming up to 7.30 in Edmonton. Uh, what are your thoughts on Marvin Harrison Jr.? A lot of people think he's mm. kind of slotted at that number four spot for uh, where, where Arizona picks, but what's your, your kind of thought process uh, moving forward with, uh, I guess, the number one wide receiver in the draft? Yeah, I think Marvin could go third to the Patriots, okay. honestly. I think that, that you could see a team even maybe trade up or do something like that. I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe he falls, right, like you said, to Arizona. But, I mean, he's uh, – in terms of just pure player in this draft, you know, there will be some teams that might have him one overall. Hmm. Um, you know, he is a – just almost, almost a flawless college prospect. There just wasn't much that you'd really have to split hairs to find things that he didn't do well you know, as a receiver, really from out of the box, like right away as a freshman. Uh, he's one of the rare guys that probably didn't need three years of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, he certainly didn't need last year. You, know, you talk about body control, speed, burst, agility. He's got literally all that stuff. He's got the size, ball skills, and he's just one of these guys who sort of floats. You know what I mean? He's a powerful uh, – everything he does is with power and speed, but it, when you watch him – uh, he looks like he's just sort of coasting and floating, like uh, like it's effortless. And you know, the best comparison that I think you can make is is his dad. I yeah. mean, that he plays a lot like his dad did. And obviously, Marvin Harrison, Sr. is a Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it. Just 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 a, uh, a a model of consistency. And I think that's what Marvin Jr. in time uh, could be for a team, a, a guy that could walk in and have an impact right away. Your quarterback doesn't even have to be great. You know, he played with a pretty bad quarterback last year in terms of accuracy and everything else and was very good. So I think that's the type of stuff you look for, uh, a guy that can do it all, and I think he's definitely that. Nick, I was checking you out on uh, Twitter or X, and uh, you're a Michigan man through and through, I can tell. Uh, now that the dust has settled uh, just around the Detroit Lions and the playoff success that they've had this year, but then yeah. some of the decision-making of Dan Campbell, what, uh, what's the vibe like around the organization now that things have kind of cooled off after uh, the playoff loss? Yeah, still very positive. I think frustrated, obviously, when you get that far and lose. I don't. I, I think the weird part is here locally, and I told people all year. Um, you know, I write still about them and have a podcast uh, on the Lions here locally, and I told them all year. I said I don't. I think they're good enough to make the playoffs and win a playoff game. I don't think. I think that's where it'll stop. I. I think they jumped the line a little bit and got further ahead of where people maybe thought they would go. So that loss in the championship game stung bad especially when you get up like that and you're a half away from the Super Bowl and you don't know you know if you can get back but I think like you said when when everything settles down even on the calls the frustration about the calls to me that's Dan Campbell being himself and I think he would do that again 10 times out of 10 that and maybe there was a couple in there that he wouldn't early on in that whole sequence but for the most part they're an aggressive team that's how they play and I think they're still excited about the future and where they where they're going I mean they've They've still got, I think, four picks in the top 100 here. They've got a little bit more money to spend. Mm-hmm. And most important, um, a lot of the guys they've drafted in the last two or three years are going to be extension guys that they're going to be able to extend and keep for a while. They're, they're worthy That's of big. it. You know, Sewell, Hutchinson, St. Brown. I mean, they're, they've built their team through the draft, uh, and I think they're, they're built to last a little bit. And um, they'll be salty, too, you know. I mean, they're, they're not happy about how that ended. So mm-hmm. that'll be good for them, too, to have a little salt in their diet. Uh, Nick, Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Eddie Steele. Uh, Nick, uh, Eddie was a D lineman when he played in the CFL here. Who would you, yeah, say, yeah. Who would you say your top um, linemen going into the draft are? Uh, uh, Dallas Turner out of Alabama is one of the top guys. Uh, uh, the guy yeah. out of uh, uh, UCLA, Layatu Latou is pretty solid. Who, who are some of the guys uh, kind of striking your fancy there? 
Yeah, this isn't a this isn't a great year for the edge guys. You know, you mentioned the two guys at the top there. Jared Verse would be another one. I like Darius Robinson, uh, a guy from Missouri who's a, a big six five, like two eighty. Who could maybe play inside and outside. But a lot of the edge guys are are kind of either a little thin or maybe too projecty. And uh, for me, I like in some ways I like some of the interior guys a little bit more. Uh, Byron Murphy, a uh, guy from Texas is about 6'1", 300, and is super explosive, just, I mean, off the ball and just thrashing people. He's got a lot of grip strength in there. The, the interior pass rushers, you've got him, you've got Jerzon Newton uh, from Illinois, um, big Devondre Sweat, Chris Jenkins, who I mentioned. There's a couple guys in this draft who will go in the uh, in first round or in the second round who are, you know, really good athletes with a lot of explosion inside, and that's something that a lot of teams – um, really covet. It's not a great year for, you know, no doubt edges, you know, after you get past like Latu, who's, and, you know, mm-hmm. Latu is a great example of it, right? He's a guy who has a lot of great pass rush moves. He's a really um, finely tuned player in terms of his technique and consistency. But, you know, he's a little small in terms of his length. Um, he's a little thin at the bottom. Um, he's not the fastest. You know, he's, he's limited in a lot of areas. And that's what you get with a lot of these edges where it's, you like a lot of it, but there's a few things in there where it's maybe not so much. I, th- I think there's a few more defensive tackles that actually maybe uh, teams might be a little more excited about. I love it. I was a D tackle, so I love hearing that, yeah. man. Every team needs a Chris Jones. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yes, right, absolutely. Um, Nick, I just want to ask you, and I don't know if uh, I just want to get your opinion if this may be a little bit out of your realm, but Caleb Williams um, not having an agent represent him. What's your thoughts on all that and the challenges that might pose? Yeah, I think that, you know, he's a guy that it's going to be very interesting because the NFL is not, you know, this is not um, a, the the slots of the salaries as a rookie. Uh, it's not really negotiable, right? I mean, a lot of this is just sort of what <laughs> is what it is. And I think, you know, there's signing bonus language and things like this you can, you can talk about and all that sort of stuff. Um, but... You know, like you said, I, I think at the end of the day, he's obviously for most teams going to be the, the number one quarterback. But if it becomes a problem where you're sitting there and if you're Chicago and you trade fields and you're saying, OK, we're going to take a new quarterback. And it's like, well, we don't know if we can get this guy signed or something. Then you have a Drake May. And I think that that's the thing that teams have looked at this whole time. Like, I, I don't know how big of a problem it will or won't be because these rookie deals sometimes a lot of times they take care of themselves. They're pretty they're pretty cut and dry. But beyond that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. And, you know, I think that this this could be something where we see Caleb do this now. He's twenty twenty one, And then in two years, he'll have an agent. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of guys get out of get out of college and they're very confident about a lot of stuff. And then they get <laughs> to the real world and they see it's hard. And yeah. then things change. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, though. It's, it's not the first time we've seen the I'm going to represent myself. And then two years later, oh, you're not doing that anymore. Huh? No, yeah, I'm not. So yeah. that's how it goes. <laughs> We'll see. And, and they see how it worked out with Lamar Jackson, too. You know, so, I mean, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, right. And it's like, it's it's hard, right? It's like, if you have leverage, that's very valuable. And who's to yeah. say that you need somebody to negotiate that for you, right? Mm-hmm. So I get it, uh, but it's a hard deal. Hey, Nick, thanks for your time this morning. We're looking forward to the uh, next couple of weeks with the combine and, and the draft. And, uh, hey, if you get a chance, check out Eddie Steele on uh, Twitter. He just sent a picture yesterday. He had the great cup at his uh, place. He's got, if you want tickets. Oh, wow. How about that? If you want tickets to the I gun will. show. Check out Eddie's pick with the, with the big right arm hanging out. And, oh. <laughs> so check it out. One guy, yeah. Before you go, before I go, guys, yeah. one guy not going to the combine, a snub, uh, Quantez Stickers, uh, oh. uh, CFL. 
Yeah, from the Argonauts. I Ooh. saw him at the Shrine Bowl, talked to him a little bit. He is a stud. I think yeah. he's going to be a draft pick. I heard he I was, had a good showing at the Shrine. Number. I heard yes. he showed well. He was terrific. Okay. He was terrific at the Shrine. I think somebody's going to take him. He's a really good player. Good kid, too. What really a story. What yeah. a story. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey, Nick, thanks for your time okay. this morning. Uh, we'll be both. keeping an eye on things. Take care, man. All right.